This week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, we are still recording remotely as the station remains um, in lockdown. So apologies for any poor sound quality. First up today, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Kate Fitzmaurice, co-owner of The View. Kate, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Carol. How are you? Lovely to join you. Good. Thank you. Um, Kate, The View, there's been some interesting and uh, beautiful imagery coming out and commentary in The Times at the end of last week about The View, a co-working space. You might just tell us about the, the location and the building itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the view is located in Malahide Marina. So you can imagine yourself, uh, and it is what it says, actually, it's all about the view. So we're overlooking boats, um, a marina. We've got the beach, Port Marnock and Malahide Beach just beside us as well. And the building itself, uh, some people might be familiar with the old Crusoe's restaurant. So back in probably, I suppose, into the 1990s and into um past millennium I suppose um the view the the restaurant here actually was a really popular uh, spot with locals of Malahide and what happened after that then was another restaurant uh, came in and the building had been sitting empty for about three years um it sits on the water on stilts it has windows the full way around um, it's absolutely gorgeous but it was just such a shame to always I suppose see it lying idle um, and we had seen that there was a massive demand locally for people looking for office space and just working from home. And I think we sort of put one and one together and it all made a bit more sense. Um, so the building is over 9000 square foot. It's over two floors. Um, we've put in we've, we've completely restructured it in that we've quite a lot of small private offices within it now. And okay. two kind of. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it's fabulous. Yeah, anybody who has seen uh, any of the images that have come out over the last week or so, um, certainly the view is beautiful. The building itself is stunning. But I think it's interesting that this is coming from local demand. You know, it, it, the local yeah. demand, are these, you know, entrepreneurs, self-employed people, or are they workers whose main office space is ordinarily in the city centre? Yeah, I think it's different, particularly because of the time we're in at the moment. But for example, I myself work for a tech company um, and, and they promote working from home, uh, particularly for parents as well, so that we can spend more time with our families. So I found myself last year quite a lot. I used to work from home every Friday, um, but I found myself working in local coffee shops um, or anywhere really that just wasn't my kitchen table because I felt if I was at home, I'd get distracted with housework or just, I, I suppose there's, there's just too many, I didn't feel like I was my most productive there. Um, so I found myself in coffee shops along with a lot of other people uh, and we'd get chatting and I found that working from home, whether it was one or two or three days a week was a common thing for employees. A lot of people who would have originally been based in an office location in town 
um, or Dublin city centre. And then what we're seeing here at the moment is that all of our small one person offices are now gone. So they're booked for the next 12 months ahead, which is incredible. Wow. Um, and how many, but, how many single offices do you have? Uh, we have 14 private offices, but the single offices, we have eight of them. Uh, so they, they would have accommodated up to two people. But what we saw from the outset was individuals coming in and whether they were CEOs who had you know moved home from the UK or I suppose entrepreneurs or people who were creating startups uh, or people who work remotely all of the time they were taking their own offices for themselves. So a lot of them have now, over the last two weeks, we've started moving them in. And the beauty of it is that they can they can go into their office. Uh, they're in their own private space and they're behind a closed door. So that, um, I suppose we didn't foresee the uptake of that being so quick, uh, but it's, it's great. It's a really, really good thing. So we're delighted. Yeah. And I, I have to ask, is this coming out of, like, is this in response to the shutdown that we've seen where more people have been working from home or was the idea to do this, you know, was it was it kind of something that you thought about prior to COVID-19? I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, we did definitely think about it prior to COVID-19 because we thought that there were quite a lot of um, entrepreneurs in Malahide, a lot of people that we'd see or we'd bump into in the coffee shops doing the same as we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found then, after COVID-19 and during it, I suppose, was that families were working together at home. So you had, obviously, the offices were closed in town. So you might have had uh, two parents and all of the children at home. Um, What I found in my circumstance was I have a a small three-bed house, but I also have two children um, and a husband. And for the four of us to be in the house together was next to near impossible to actually try and work. Um, We didn't have... That's quite a common theme that we've seen. You know, one thing that we've seen in the past is that our homes really weren't designed to accommodate all members of the family doing their individual interests at the same time. No, and and that's the thing as well. I think people who might have a spare room that they were able to set it up as an office are really, really lucky. And that might be working for them. But for people who don't have that extra space or just don't have space for another desk or another screen Mm -hmm. um, or a separate area out of the family home, a lot of us live in open plan kitchen and kind of living areas. Um, And I suppose the way that our houses have been built over the last couple of years just don't really lend themselves to home offices. Which is interesting in itself, isn't it? You know, I I think there's going to be some very key design trend uh, changes coming out of the the last period that maybe we didn't foresee before that. So I think that in itself is interesting. And you've translated that almost into the office space because we had seen this huge trend toward uh, shared and open plan working spaces, whether it was for co-working or for traditional offices, they were just leaning towards a more open plan design. Whereas now we know that that's going to have to change or at least become more flexible in its use. So in terms of the space you're providing, are there, I presume there are actually shared spaces as well for people, um, you know, just to, to use maybe desk space or assigned desk space? There is, yeah. So we have the, we've private offices with their own doors. Um, some also have their own balconies, which is lovely. Fabulous. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, they are the very nice offices. Um, but 
Aside from that, we have two smaller, what we're calling uh, dedicated desks. And the idea with those is that you'll take them for three months at a time. So the desk is yours and no one else's. Your locker is yours and no one else's and you have a lock and key. So it means you can bring in your things or you can leave them there and that that space, uh, the chair won't be sat in by anyone else as well. Now we have obviously um, had to had to stay within the two meter guidelines. So Thankfully, because we're just opening, what we've done is we have we've opened some of our dedicated desks in that we might have one available at one end of the table and one at the opposite end um, instead of opening them all up together just to make people feel as comfortable as possible. Uh, downstairs, so we have two of those dedicated areas upstairs and within each we might only have about 20 seats. So we have about 40 altogether in the dedicated desk area. We also have a casual, more open studio space downstairs, which goes out onto a really nice balcony overlooking the sea. It's very informal. It's the idea of it will be come in, work for a day, work for a couple of hours and sit where you wish, whether it's at a table or in one of our kind of couch booth areas. Um, but for the moment, we haven't opened that because I suppose we we can't um, because we can't really accommodate people to come in and out as they please and sit where they like. So we're trying to con- control the area as much as possible mm-hmm. um and i suppose we're in a good position in that we're, we're still quite new so it's quiet at the moment and people are really comfortable and they feel safe um so we're just going to keep going i suppose yeah and the, look i think it's amazing the take-up that you've gotten so far at being yeah. in such early stages but do you have a breakdown yet of the people going in are they almost all self-employed um, the majority actually are. Yes, yeah. that is what we're seeing. Yep, yep. And yeah. it's um, th- there's a mix as well of people who are coming in. They're saying what they want to do is network with local uh, business people as well because they found that working from home or coffee shops, they still feel a little bit isolated and that it's not that easy to get up from your table in a coffee shop and chat to the person on a laptop next to you. Whereas if you're in a, a business hub, um, it, the, the natural conversation sort of is, you know, what do you do? Um, how come you're working here? And and I suppose you're trying instantly to try and see whether there's connections there. So yeah. it, that seems to be a, a big appeal as well. And it it needs to be, you know, I, I genuinely believe having used spaces like that in the past, that actually co-working spaces, the, the magic sauce there really is the networking effect. It's the people that you're working with. You know, there there has to be some element. And I don't I'm not sure if even networking is the right word, but more uh, no. business community, you know, because there's there's a, you know, sharing space sharing coffee machines you know there's a natural uh, relationship yeah. that builds up there that's much stronger maybe than than the word networking might might imply and that's so important yeah. from a local business point of view so how are you managing to do that given the restrictions in place at the moment yeah so i i do think you're right and that the power of community is people if people really want to see people in their own community do well um and that's where this there's a, there's a bit of a local element to this as well and that whether you're from port marnock or malahide or um swords or, or john abate the surrounding area we're all really proud of where we come from so to have people in the one building um helping each other and i suppose with the aim for everyone to succeed and do well is just a really nice positive atmosphere um we do have have a cafe downstairs and a balcony but unfortunately we've decided not to open that until I suppose until the local cafes in the area decide that they're ready to open and we'll we'll work alongside them and, and follow their lead really 
Um, and the idea of that is whether you have an office here or a workspace that we're providing an area for business minds to meet. So if you don't work in the view, but you're looking for somewhere to have a meeting, um, what we're hoping to do probably from September onwards is to invite people to have those meetings here and to connect and to share um, what they're doing as well. So we, we do think that that will be a big success as well and that we're, we're seeing people asking already, can we book a table for a meeting? Can we book a meeting room? Um, can you talk to us about your training room? So for the moment, we're holding back on that mm-hmm. Um but we do think that there, there's a lot of appetite there for it. Yeah, that's definitely something that's important. You know, our offices were in the city centre for years and over the past mm-hmm. 18 months, we moved out towards City West and um, just to try accommodate travelling staff and things like that. And actually yeah. what we find then is, you know, when you are going maybe towards uh, whether it's Santry or, or Malahide or uh, even out towards Ashburn or you're constantly looking for meeting spaces and increasingly hotels have embraced open plan to the point where not every hotel is suitable for meetings. So actually I think that meeting rooms uh, is something that is, uh, that has been important for the last while, but it's something that's going to become even more important actually um, as we continue to work maybe on a partly remote basis. Um, You know, and, and by the way, you mentioned that, you know, you're saying we, so I know that you're heading up operations there, but you have a team around you. So who's involved in this? Yeah, so uh, The View is its owned by my husband and his brothers. So it's Richard Burdard and Marcus Fitzmaurice. And they are also local builders. So they they own a building company called B&G Construction, um, which has been really beneficial in, I suppose, this getting this project from the beginning to where it is now. Um, there was over, I think, over one million euro um, was the total investment to change the building here from a restaurant into what it is now so it's been a complete transformation the fit out does look f- fantastic quality you know looking through the images there i mean you yeah. have the natural advantage of the location and the view but to be fair the fit out and the furnishings actually look look top quality and that's something that that um commercial occupiers and tenants want when they're going into their office space because it is a place where you're hoping to bring in prospective clients you know so you want it to feel yeah. very much on tone with your brand Absolutely. And it's funny, I went to a work wellbeing conference last year in Crow Park and I think there was four of the the, the main things that they had said workspaces or, or employees needed to work well and for wellbeing was natural light and um, quiet space. Views where possible was something that they said was nearly next to impossible to find in the yes. city centre. Um, and then I, another thing was indoor plants um, came up and that it helped people feel well and work better. And there was a couple of different studies conducted around that. So when we were doing our fit out, we were really conscious about the views that we we set from each office. Um, we have a lot of indoor uh, planting. Um, the colours that we've used are quite neutral. There's a lot of blues. Um, we've used a lot of sea images as well uh, from a from a local photographer as well, actually, who's done a lot of drone pictures. And, and it's just it's gone down really well. And the people have said when they come in, there's a very relaxed atmosphere to here. So I, yeah. I think they come, they know they're coming to do work and they can go out and take a break and sit out and have a coffee on the balcony or just take a breather yeah. um, with views, which is hard to find. Yeah, look, healthy buildings is something that we cover quite frequently here on the show. And in fact, only last week we had uh, Marie Caffrey of Universal Floral, who are one of the leading interior uh, landscapers and, and um, 
management company for office plants and you know she was talking about the this um the well-being effect of having more greenery and in fact they they were introducing these moss screens as uh, as opposed to using perspex in response yes. to covid-19 for social distancing and i just thought it was stunning so beautiful um and such a, an elegant solution but such a healthy solution you know i i think you know it's interesting now when people have more of an opportunity to work from home, you know, that that having alternative workspaces. So whether it's something that's within walking distance or, or you know, a, a short drive from their office that so they don't have to go into the city centre, but somewhere that actually feels good to sit and work, you know, that's conducive to concentration and um, creativity. I, th- I think that's really the key. So listen, best of luck, first of all, with the view as you roll out in terms of capacity, where are you in terms of capacity? Like, are you still inviting uh, new business and entrepreneurs at this stage? We are at the moment. Um, our plan is to, is to try and fill out the private offices uh, because I suppose in terms of uh, safety measures at the moment, they are they, they would be our, our number ones and that you can go in and you can close your door. Uh, we're also starting to release some of our dedicated desk spaces. And like you said, uh, we did work with Marie, actually. And as oh, dividers, very good. That's, yeah, that's only a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, we, we have uh, beautiful plants dividing up the desks as well. So, yes, we are releasing some of our dedicated desks and we are starting to release the rest of our private offices as well. So we have a number of show arounds booked at the moment. Uh, But that is what we're asking, actually, if anyone wants to come in and have a look that they pre-book in advance so that we can organise a time slot to do that. And then Emma Jane Donlan, who is our sales and marketing manager here, um, looks after the rest. Oh, very good. Well, look, as soon as it is safe to do so, I look forward to popping in when your cafe is open for a coffee and taking advantage of the views and working there. Um, I, I look forward to having a good look around it and enjoying the atmosphere there. So in the meantime, we would encourage anybody who is looking for space in the Malahide area to reach out to Kate and the team there at The View. For now, we leave it there. Our thanks again to Kate Fitzmaurice, uh, co-owner of The View in Malahide. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone now by uh, Donald Byrne, CEO of Big Red Barn, based in Mayo. Donald, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Carol. Thank you very much for having me on. No, I'm I'm delighted that you were able to join us. I know you're very busy at the moment because, again, I've mentioned that you are based in in Mayo, but you work nationwide. And today you're actually working on the East Coast. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we're putting up a modular building today in Wicklow. So uh, it's a little windy and wild today, but uh, we've had beautiful weather so far and it's great to be busy. Ah, very good. Well, Donald, I'm... In the early days of your startup, uh, people might have been familiar with um, some of the early press that you would have gotten around turning from an events an events uh, sheltering as opposed to homes. So you might just talk to us about the origins of Big Red Barn. How long are you established? Uh, we're going on seven years. Um, so we've done one year as a sole trader and we'd be six years now as a limited company. So my background would have been construction and then it led into events. And I was the operations manager for the Olympic Park in London, where we had huge issues with uh, canvas structures during test events and during the Olympic Games. 
So I uh, use my redundancy to create the bigger barn, which is a more stronger, durable structure that could withstand the Irish climate and the UK climate, especially uh, for wind, rain and condensation. Okay. And Winton Dragon. Yeah, go ahead. Winton Dragon's Den and got a great success from it. And uh, each year we launched a new product. So year two, we launched chapel which was in line with yes vote and allowed couples of any sex religion get married wherever they wished third year we launched europe's first two-story modular structure for the event industry and we called with little the large shows the national plowing championships in balmoral fourth year we started a small one-bed modular home and uh, that was a huge success and then we upped to um two and three bed modular homes and this year we launched the uh, dormer two-story 1600 square foot aerated home that meets all building and planning regulations so it is is really morphed and now mainly 90 percent of our business would be um, modular homes and only 10 percent to be the bit that's a really interesting development and it's amazing to see the innovation that's that's gone in because that's uh, to put out a product of that scale every 12 months that's a, that must be a constant realm of innovation for you and the team there how many people are involved there's 42 of us at the moment but when we started off there would have been only two full-time and four part-time um, the Enterprise Ireland, or the, the local enterprise office that steered us into manufacturing, that was the best thing that ever happened because we don't know a lot of R&D and uh, we've constantly put money back in every year, which has hurt cash flow, but has been very worthwhile into having a new product every single year. Um, so it's brilliant. And the newest one, which is year seven, is the tiny home, which is on wheels and is very similar to the tiny home movement in the US. So we're trying to have a product or a house that suits everybody's budget going from 25,000 for the tiny home on wheels to 44,000 for the standard one bed and then for 150,000 for the aerated uh, 1,600 square foot dormer home. So the reason we came up with the last one, the biggest one is the dormer. A lot of couples that were buying office at the start were having a one bed home as a starter home or space behind their house uh, for a home office, studio, etc. Then they were becoming more permanent where we put more insulation in them and and put more heating systems in them and solar panels that they're more permanent dwellings. And that led to issues that can be down the road with planning. So we decided let's build a house that's fully modular, that um, ticks all the boxes in relation to planning and in relation to getting you an aerated uh, home. And uh, we've done that now. And you'll see it on our Facebook page and on our website. We only put up uh, videos there last week. It's really, really impressive. So four weeks in the factory, six weeks on site, 1,600 square foot three bed, um, really open space living, uh, modular home. And again, looking at it, you can't tell it's modular, but uh, it goes together so fast and eliminates all those headaches people have with uh, organizing the build themselves, block clears and plasters, electricians, plumbers, etc. And we now do the planning in-house as well. So you come in, you meet our engineer, sit down, he comes out, does the trial always, does the planning. And it's fully turnkey solution from our side. Oh, very good. Donald, I, I watched the video um, on social media of you doing the walkthrough uh, of the show home, the 1600 uh, square foot home. It's absolutely stunning. Now, the decor, the finish, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. One of the things that I was really surprised by, because you just don't expect it in a modular home, um, is the double height element uh, that you've left. So it's almost like a, a minstrel balcony coming out over part of the of the interior of the home, which is a stunning design. You know, so it, how much flexibility is there across these homes, you know, for families that might have different needs? 
every house we build is is technically customized in some way. And I always had it in my head that when uh, they made manufactured homes in America, they don't like to call them man- modular manufactured homes, that they were all off the shelf product. But when I visited uh, Pennsylvania and there's over uh, 33 factories making modular homes on the floor out of, um, we'll say 100% of the house on the floor, 80% of them are different because everybody's site orientation is different. Everybody's family needs are different. So that's why we we redraw everybody's house and we sit down at the start and say, do you need the, the four bed or the five bed rather than the three and you don't have to have the open plan living uh, in the kitchen. You can bring the second floor all the way through. Do you need playrooms? Do you need offices? Where is the sun? You know, it, it, so each house is totally different and customized, which means it, it gets a little bit more slower, but it means it's the customer gets exactly what they want. Absolutely. And ha- having a planning in-house, you know, is a really, it's, it's a strong solution. I'm delighted you were able to do that. But I, I was also surprised that you were able to do that, given that the planning in front varies so much from county to county, particularly in rural areas. You know, th- there there is definitely um, firms that you would know, you know, might be able to navigate the local planning process. So it can be difficult to do that. So you've an engineer that's actually dealing with planning across every county in Ireland. Yes, because we want people to be comfortable and know that what they've done is 100% right, especially when they're making a large investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the big things were that, that there's a rendered finish on the house, that there's a, a slate roof or slate effect roof, that it has um, the heat pump system or the air ventilation system that you get the A2 rating. So the other houses were mainly timber facade. And you'll have a lot of counties in Ireland that have issue with that. And there were a corrugated roof. You have a lot of counties that have issues with that. And the pitch was quite low on the other ones. They don't like that. They like a high pitch and trying to go with this tradition. So we just didn't willy-nilly come up with it. We sat with the planners, showed them our designs, made sure they were happy before we actually went to manufacture. Okay. Because we want to tick all the boxes and we want everybody to have a good experience. And these homes come with a 25-year structural warranty, which means they can actually be mortgaged because that's something in the early days that was an uncertainty. Correct. Of course, everybody hears this word modular and we need to actually change that. And I'm going to try and start that now that it's a manufactured home, um, manufactured in a safe environment. So the difference and the problem the banks had were if somebody defaulted on the house or the mortgage, they thought that they'd flat pack it and head off with it. That is impossible. You know, it builds very fast, but it's painfully slow to take down once you have it fully finished inside and you'd need a team of experts to do so. So they couldn't just, you know, take away the home. And once the banks and the Bank of Ireland or AIB that have come on board first, they came out, saw it, understood it. And then we got engineers to write reports on it and they got valuations done on it. And then once it ticked all the boxes and legals was done on it, 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 it was able to be passed. But it's the words, it's just the terminology. And really, there's no need to say when you're going for planning what the house is made out of as long as the house ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you're dealing with planning, um, uh, so it's everything assembled on site. What's the What happens in terms of groundworks and access to services? So you need to have uh, your septic, your water and your electric on site. Um, again, we can help you put in the application to the ESB. We can help you put in the application to the local water scheme. These are very simple things um, and we can uh, help you with those. So once they're there, it's very simple. The house is um, manufactured in the factory. It comes out, it's assembled, and then the plumbers and electricians and all to join up all the services and the finishing touches, etc. Um, so we want to make it as smooth a system as we can. 
and it has done that. So, for example, we brought the two-story house to the National Power Championships last year, launched it, we took it down, brought it back to Swinford, put it back up, and then we put in the heat pump. Then we connected to the electric. Then we connected to the sewer. And it's now in its permanent state. Okay, and the pricing for this, you're coming in at about 150000 for what would, more on a more conventional build, be maybe 100000 more than that. Correct. So the prices you're looking at in the West of Ireland is €125 Euros to €140 Euros per square foot to builders mm. finish. We're working out about €95 Euros per square foot. Um, so our house retails at €150,000 plus VAT at 13.5% because of supply and fit. Um, so it's coming in about 100,000 and in some cases far more uh, to a fully finish. Standard is very, very high. And if you buy a house in any house in a state or anywhere, you don't get a 25-year structured warranty on it, even though it's specced in the Irish, if you read the legislation, that there must be 60-year warranty on it, but nobody gets that and everybody knows that. Um, so it's great that you have that comfort. And if you have an issue, we'd have a team out at the ground to adjust a door or whatever little thing there is uh, within 24 hours. And it's word of mouth that's been selling our houses. And one, if you put a house in an area, guaranteed you'll have a second household in an area within 12 months without any But you're absolutely right that it's word of mouth because I can tell you it was a fellow uh, Mayo uh, person who came to me, uh, it was at least a year ago and said, you have to speak to Donald Burns. So look, I, I so you're right, it absolutely is word of mouth and that's really positive. Is it all um, kind of self-builders or, or one-off homes that you're dealing with or are you doing any development? No, we are. We, we've done two developments. Um, again, nothing huge of 100 houses. They're smaller developments of four to 10 houses, um, but they are becoming more popular now because, again, with the faster development is built, the faster the developer can sell the houses and the faster he can make money, etc. cetera. And um, the bigger problem people have is the timescales in a lot of these construction sites or even self-built goes on for months and sometimes years. Um, so to have it all in one neat package is excellent. Yeah. And the big thing is, you know, we had four years with the standard uh, one-bed units and two-bed units we were doing. So we saw all the feedback and the questions and things people wanted changing. So now at least we have a house for everyone's budget from 25000 to 50000 80000 to 150000 And at least people can start off and have um, it. Donald, I'm excited to hear you talk about the tiny homes because that's something, you, the tiny homes on wheels, that's something that we really haven't seen embraced in Ireland and the planning has been really ambiguous around it. But it's something actually that we've been following and promoting over the past decade here. So in terms of the tiny homes, how, I mean, have you looked into the planning there or is the whole idea that they're on wheels, therefore movable, so once they're not kept in one place that you wouldn't require planning? Yes, you're 100% correct there. Again, this was a thing we've seen in America. couldn't believe we were going into factories that were making 2,500 square foot homes and next thing there was a load of these tiny homes. And uh, when we looked into them, it's a huge movement. You'll see it on Netflix, the Tiny Homes series. It. Um, it's it's massive. And uh, we put it on Facebook mm. and said, look, we were willing to do the first one at cost price, um, which was 20000 instead of twenty five, And the list was huge. We had a, uh, to do a draw. And it was a guy from Tume that actually won it, or um, Corfin. And he had been following us on Netflix. He had his design in his head. And his plan is that him and his partner move into this uh, on the site where they are going to build their house that they have planning for in time to come, but they don't have the money and they won't be paying rent in Galway. They live here for four or five years. They'll have their deposits saved, if not more. And they also have an asset um, that they can use uh, to rent out Airbnb or keep for themselves. And it made so much sense because 
a, a one bed standard one bed off us is forty four. It's nearly half the price, sir. It's twenty thousand yeah. cheaper to go for the tiny home. But, but and what's, again, what's the situation with the, services? Is it off? Is it off? So grid? again, you it no, it's not off grid. You have the option of trying to go solar panel or generator. Uh, so the one that uh, we sent to Galway, you get he put in for his ESP connection. Uh, our electricians are recce certified. He has like a little mini pillar there, plugged straight into it. Same thing. Uh, he had planning got for his septic tank. He installed that and his storage is there and his water is there. So you could put in storage tanks underneath it for storage if you wanted. You could put in water tanks. But m- most people have them that they're nearly permanently plumbed up, wired up. Um, but you can unplug them and hit off if you okay. wish. And actually, th- that's something that uh, we were involved in a project a couple of years ago, the, the Ripple shipping container build. And since then, even though that was maybe six years ago, we still get a consistent flow of inquiries coming in. This is something that people feel really strongly they want to do. People um, maybe who don't want to get a mortgage that want to live independently, not necessarily off grid, but certainly independently. Um, you know, this they, they see this as a real option. And we've seen some amazingly designed tiny homes. So one thing I noticed from having, you know, worked through the crash uh, and into the recovery, one of the key changes we saw is that, you know, new buyers and, and new first time buyers and home buyers who were moving, whether they were trading up or down, you know, they, they definitely didn't want as much space, you know, so definitely we could see that there was, um, you know, the requirements had changed. People didn't want, you know, you weren't putting couples into five bedroom houses in the country on, on an acre like we might have been doing kind of 15 years ago. So that was one of the key changes. So I think the tiny homes movement is really relevant, but it's been hampered in Ireland because of the ambiguity about planning um, and, and this understanding that we don't embrace off-grid living. And, you know, there are a few isolated examples, but it just doesn't seem to be something that the Irish state is willing to accept. I mean, have you any experience now having worked across the tiny homes? Have you had to, have you run into any of these issues? Touch wood, we haven't, but we, we try to get people um, to, we go and visit the site and we try and get the, all the boxes ticked as best as possible. But I've sat with the Minister for Housing, um, uh, sorry, the Junior Minister for Housing, and I've sat with civil servants and um, we're one of the only countries, we are the only country in Europe that doesn't have a modular housing mm-hmm. standard. And uh, they, their argument is that uh, Ireland is such an awful climate that their building standards are far greater than everywhere else in the world. Uh, so that's why they have pyrite and all these smart things and rising damp and dry rot and radon. But we won't go into that. Uh, they are very firm on that. And the Concrete Federation is a very strong industry. So if you can't beat them, join them. And that's what we've done and designed a house that ticks all the boxes. And uh, a lot of the one bed houses and tiny homes we would have sold come for two purposes. You made a very valid point there that there's a lot of five bed houses in the countryside with uh, grandparents now living in them. What you found is these people are now downsizing. Mm-hmm. They're taking the one bed unit or two bed unit and putting it in the back garden and their children are moving into their parents' house and raising their family in it. And it means that their parents having this huge house that they cannot heat. They have a nice, small, um, thermostatically controlled home that's very warm and easy to heat. They're in the back garden. They have their independent living and um, they all live happily in, in the one yeah. space. And their children don't have a mortgage around their neck of... 300 or 400,000 or a quarter million, they've spent the 50 or 60,000 and everybody's happy. And that is a far smarter and more economical way of approaching the housing crisis that we have in this country 
then the daft approach that we have of throwing social houses up everywhere and taking forever to build them in a home. Yeah, price. look, Donald, genuinely, you're preaching to the choir here. I think the, the in terms of the tiny homes, whether they're on or off wheels, there are so many ways that we can be sustainably building smaller homes that are absolutely well designed and sufficient for people's use. Um, with the the industry and really the legislators just haven't made the shift. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, we're going to see that conversation start to move but I don't think it's a problem we're going to tackle in one day so we'll leave it there for now that was Donald Byrne CEO of Big Red Barn we need to take another quick break and we'll be back shortly 93.9 Dublin South FM and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon we are of course recording from home as the station still operating remotely in full compliance with government guidelines so I'm now joined over the phone by Carl Freel sales manager at Top Compositioning Ireland and, of course, um, frequent guest and friend of the show. Carl, you're very welcome today. Thanks, Carl. Um, so tell me, well, first of all, you know, we were just discussing there before we started recording that um, you were with us kind of within the last six months, but it feels like an awful lot longer because it feels like an awful lot has changed. It sure um, has. Yeah. So look, yeah. well, let's just start by maybe reminding our industry audience here, you know, the, the work that TopCon positioning does here in Ireland. Yeah. So uh, TopCon in Ireland, we supply mostly a uh, majority of our businesses in the construction and civil engineering side. Um, so heavy construction of machines, we automate, uh, machine control uh, on large excavators, dozers, we put machine control systems on them. Uh, also, we supply geo positioning tools into the uh, uh, surveying equipment into the surveying business. Uh, also, another part of our business is uh, I touched on uh, on the last interview uh, in relation to agriculture. So we're heavily involved in uh, providing uh, precision agricultural tools to um, to farmers for their uh, various machines that they have on site. So we uh, positionings uh, and positioning systems, and also uh, implement control systems to make them a lot more efficient. Basically, so we're we're digitizing. I suppose you could break it down in. Uh, digitizing the construction industry and also the agricultural industry here in Ireland. Very good. And in terms of the of the construction industry, because, of course, the, the agricultural industry ha- has to continue, um, has to continue irrespective of what's going on around. Um, so I, I'd imagine that's maybe a different, that's kind of a, a conversation for a different day. But in relation to construction, how are your clients finding things over the past few months? So obviously, uh, at the start of this whole situation, when we were in, I suppose you could say, lockdown in Ireland, uh, obviously things had uh, quietened down quite a bit, obviously, in relation to our normal our normal daily uh, mm-hmm. business. Uh, so those connections had quietened down a lot. But what we actually did is, uh, in that particular period, we, we took that opportunity to make a lot more contact with the customers and kind of offering them uh, a lot of services. Maybe that in the past, we never really had a time to ourselves or our customers to look at. So maybe, what example, do you, yeah, what do you mean by that, Carl? Yeah, for example, upskilling, uh, upskilling from, you know, the tools that we provide and the softwares, for example, and the hardware have changed a lot over the years. But we find actually as, as customers are getting busier and busier and even ourselves, we, you know, maybe we weren't uh, up to speed and, you know, and, and catching up with what's going on within the tools we provide. So what we did was uh, we offered lots and lots of uh, e-learning. Um, so we offered our, our e-learning pr- platform during the period, free of charge to all customers, and uh, they were able to, you know, um, they were able then to uh, capitalize on lots and lots of training throughout that period for all of their for all of their staff. And then, on the back of that, then we've we've continued that on with free uh, webinars that are ongoing actually. So 
on-demand webinars for all our digit, uh, different tools that we supply, both hardware and software. And that's one of the ways we, we just actually use that period of time to communicate back to customers, uh, old and new, and, and just offering them these services and, and catching up, if that makes sense. We've actually, we, we actually had a really productive couple of months in that period, yeah. Yeah, that that's good to hear. And actually, you're echoing a lot of what we've heard um, in recent months. You know, people are talking about, um, you know, where there have been client relationships there that have been ongoing for a long time. There's a real yep. sense that they've deepened over the last while as people, you know, it, it's almost cliche to say it now. But, you know, there was this real sense of being in this together. And, you know, there yep. was definitely a, a collaborative approach there. But I, I know a number of businesses really have stepped up in terms of, you know, whether it's um, using this time to adopt new technologies or to really, you know, put a good, robust strategy in place for digital transformation. You know, people maybe who wasn't on the radar um, initially. But, you know, uh, I suppose one of the things, because you've you've a broad view, like looking at your customer base there, um, you know, we've heard that we know that some companies aren't going to make it through this. And you know, there's an assumption that the guys who you're dealing with are probably the guys who were innovating anyway, you know, so they're perhaps best protected. But I yep, mean, yep. are you seeing are you seeing a gap between maybe those who have embraced technology and those who haven't? There is for sure. Even give you an example when it um, after we came out of the uh, in 2008, uh, around that time, the, the larger companies that invested in their digital technologies that were available back then. Those companies have got stronger and stronger, and it seems to be a case of uh, that's the case again in this situation. That you know we see those embracing even more after the situation. The you know digital tools that are on offer, you know the various platforms, for example, to keep people connected, not just people, keep machines connected, and you know and and continuing now uh, as we come out of this process after COVID nineteen is to make sure that there's uh, that connection is still there, but using digital tools to do that. So we see an, an increase in demand for for um, customers looking for their, their machines connected to back to the office and, and, and trying to keep in line with, um, uh, you know, the, the requirements now that are there in relation to social distancing, for example, you know. So it is an issue for the smaller companies, absolutely no problem, for sure. But it's accessible. It's not like it was a long time ago where these digital technology tools were, you know, they were specialized and maybe they were uh, cost prohibitive. That's not the case as much anymore. So we still have a lot of lot of clients, smaller clients too, that are looking at this and have embraced and are uh, are embracing it even more now uh, during the current situation and are looking a lot closer at it now to see how they can uh, utilize these particular tools. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, you know, that previously people might have thought that they didn't have the resources to do it. And, yeah. you know, when it comes to innovation, we consistently see that it's never an issue of resources and it's always an issue of resourcefulness. And that usually comes down to mindset. So, yeah. you know, really these businesses, it very much depends on the leadership that's in place and, you know, the priority that's given, not just to survival, but actually to, to innovation and constant improvement. And I think the last few months have definitely forced us to focus on that. Um, you know, I, I've seen various stats thrown around, but we do know that, you know, in terms of digital transformation across the industry, more has been done in the last few months than had been done in the last few years previously. And that has to be a good thing. But I'm just wondering how that translates into, say, you know, are are you getting calls from you know, maybe companies that you haven't worked with previously or, you know, yeah. are, are you seeing that mindset shift? For starting? sure. 
we're finding a mixture. It's the bigger companies are, are ramping up of what they've done already in previous, what they had been doing up until this situation. So they've increased what their what their requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the smaller the smaller customers are also coming back looking for solutions. How can we, uh, you know, make the business we have at the moment more um, effective, uh, efficient, uh, more productive? How do we get the guys more productive? How do we keep them safe? Obviously, as much as is obviously at the forefront of their minds. Uh, how mm-hmm. do they make ensure that they're they're um, they're, they're doing what they need to do and, and to protect their customers and protect their, sorry, their, their employees. So they're looking for these technologies, these digital technologies that, are, as I say, have been available for quite a while. Those technologies obviously are improving all the time and they're getting a lot more cost effective now than they used to be in the past. And that's one of the things that's definitely leading them to pick up the phone or make contact with us. Or as I said, they've been signing up to her. Uh, we've seen a huge demand in our online uh you know, uh, platforms for training and upskilling, and also the webinars. As I say, we've been we've been given free of access to our customers. Them, the ba- a lot of them have been embracing that big time. Yeah, uh, and, and actually, trying to figure out where they fit in this. You know, where they can fit in, what they can get that'll actually improve what they're doing. Yeah, and it is all about improvement and learning at this stage, which is great. And um, back to your weekly webinars, that's a fantastic resource to have. And uh, I, I take it now, um, even if they're being done on a weekly basis, yep. you know, is there now a library of content yeah, for people for sure. to go? Excellent. Huge store. Yeah, huge library there offer, offer all different on the geo and construction and agricultural uh, massive um, presence there now of, uh, of lots of stuff there sitting waiting on demand, yeah. Okay, and just in terms of topics that people can access there, you know, off the top of your head, would you have a couple of topics yeah, so that people know control. what to expect? Yeah, likes of machine control, for example, what we're, what we're doing on that in relation to modernizing and upgrading and automizing those machines or semi-automizing them and what the benefits are off the back of that, for example. Mm-hmm. On the geo side, then we've got some of our geo tools in relation to one-man instruments, for example, one-man robotic total stations, um, uh, some of our scanning technologies uh, that help increase and, uh, and stop the uh, demand for rework, for example, on site. We've got a big increase in demand looking for those tools that are helping, you know, making uh, sites a lot more productive, companies a lot more productive and efficient, basically. Yeah. And that's such a huge concern at the moment, you know, only in the in the Sunday papers in the weekend gone by, you know, we saw some pretty uh, damning stats coming out about the, the productivity levels and how, you know, the drop is anywhere between kind of a 33 to 40%, depending on where you look at. But, you know, they seem to be putting productivity losses in Ireland um, at the worst across the EU, you know, which really surprised me. Yep. You know, does that mean that in terms of adoption of, you know, new technologies, does that mean that we're at the bottom of the list across Europe? To be honest with you, that's that's something that we would have noticed ourselves within the business. Uh, obviously, talking to our European colleagues on a weekly, daily basis, um, we do we seem to be a little bit behind the curve, but always we, we do catch up, but we may be a little bit behind. Uh, but in saying that, there's some very, very big, large Irish co- uh, contractors and uh, companies that are working in European and European market also, uh, and they definitely are embracing and they're bringing that embracing of technology back to their 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 sites and their and their workflow here in Ireland too. Yeah, yeah, I I think the the productivity losses trying to stem the losses there and actually trying to recoup on any build programs will definitely be a motivating factor over the next while. So that's a huge one. Yep. Um, in terms of specific technologies, uh, do you do your technologies actually assist with uh, social distancing measures on site? One example straight off the top of my head would be, uh, I spoke about it a couple of times already on machine control. So for example, mm-hmm. 
dozer or uh, anything, a machine like that. that. That's already at the moment, for example, it's a one-man operation, an operator on the machine. But normally it would uh, require, for example, a, an engineer or somebody to actually you know, be with that machine to let that machine operator know what, where he needs to be, what he needs to be doing at a specific time and place. But what we can do now is we can do that remotely. So we can put basically a computer system onto the, those machines mm-hmm. and make them a lot more efficient. And also that engineer no longer needs to be with the operator in the machine itself or with, at the mm-hmm. machine. They can work remotely. So that remotely could be anywhere, literally working from home, for example. They don't need to be on site. They can have a visual, uh, a data, the data there they can see and the, and the software is available now. Keeps that engineer connected to multiple machines on site. So that really, really helps. For example, that's just one example of where they can uh, they can definitely uh, utilize and social distance there. Okay, and in terms of take up, you know, is your technology, you know, is is it on smaller sites or is this all on very large, uh, large project sites or infrastructure sites? You right. know, or, or, yeah. Or, or yeah, from small sites right the whole way up to larger sites. Yeah, obviously, in the larger sites, there's multiple machines, and the smaller sites you might have one or two. Mm-hmm. On the geo side, you've got now. In the past, we had guys pulling tapes maybe and measuring out and spray painting or chalking on the ground for foundations of houses. Now they can, one one engineer with one instrument, can he can, um, by not being close to anybody at all, can walk around the site and mark out the sites, uh, the phones for, you know, for, for house site, a housing site, for example, or larger developments, you know, so it's... Excellent. Really. Okay. And um, uh, Carl, the last time you were in with us in studio, um, I you were talking about some work that... I know that in Topcon positioning there in Ireland, you're very passionate about not just uh, rolling out innovation, but also actually uh, educating and including the next generation coming up. And that's something that we feel equally passionate about. In fact, in the first couple of months of the show here last year, we actually brought in transition year students from South Dublin and, you know, got a, a level of feedback and ideas and suggestions because, you know, again, we know that it's so important to bring in the next generation. And in fact, you know, even secondary school, yep. you know, at that point, we'd want to be looking even earlier. But you've been working with Terranure, uh, the transition year students again in Terranure. So how is that project going or have you been able to continue that throughout this period? Yeah, so we touched on that uh, back in January when we spoke about yeah. it. Yes, we had rolled that out back in September and that has um, obviously continued, has been a really, really great success. Uh, and the great thing about it, again, is that, you know, as design engineer and construct uh, was the actual, the uh, curriculum itself. Uh, so it is based on designing a building, uh, the engineer part of it and the construction part. So taking the students through those different processes and what's involved. And uh, we went to see them a couple of times and showed them, for example, the surveying side and how the surveying tools work. And then I was in digital side then on the, uh, the computer uh, CAD programs, for example. For example, we showed them all mm-hmm. of those things. And the feedback we have got from that has been truly amazing, to be quite honest. We've got a piece coming out with it in a couple of weeks' time in relation to it. Uh, and the, so far, the, the feedback has been from students themselves, more importantly, most importantly, probably, the teachers and uh, the parents has been so, so positive with those students and what they've uh, got to experience. Fantastic. Uh, and, and the purpose of that, as much as anything, is just to open their eyes to the fact that there is a, a future in this industry. There is a future that they need to be considering when they're, they're filling in their CAO forms in, in sixth year or whatever, and they're looking to go to the third level. Um, because the third level, we can influence it, but we can't influence them on what course they join, if that makes sense. So this is Yeah, no, really I understand. It's, it's almost too late at that stage. Yeah, um, but yeah. say, it, it, was this the first year of that particular program? 
first year in Ireland for that particular program, yeah. And um, but it has been rolled out in uh, across the world, really. But started off in the uh, United Kingdom, and they have a number of for I think it's up to eight years now. And the success rate over there has been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal so far, yeah. And the industry is embracing it, really embracing it, because they they obviously can see that they need to attract into their industry. You know, it's not and to change the image, I suppose, uh, of the construction industry that isn't just about walking around the site and muddy boots sort of thing. Like there, there's so so many job opportunities within the industry itself that's not even related necessarily directly to be walking around the site. You know what I mean? Yeah, and actually, I think that's a really good point as well. That you know, perhaps construction has suffered a little bit in term, uh, a little bit of reputational damage as, as a career over the past decade. But actually, to put it into context for people, that you know, it is very much a, in some ways a technology or design, as yep. in that. Yeah, so that's that's an excellent one. It'll be really interesting to see in terms of the the figures over a number of years. Does it influence people back into the industry? Because we know the numbers are, are down. Yep. And it's something that collectively all of the different um, conveyancing, uh, well, well, yep. right through from yep. conveyancing, surveying right through to engineering and design, um, that all of the lobby groups are working together to try actually promote the image of the industry, which is the positive thing. Yeah, um, it definitely so, seems to be an appetite, especially as I say, for eight years it's been in the UK. The first couple of years, just a couple of schools, and now that has really ramped up to numerous, numerous schools around Scotland, Wales, England. Uh, and as I say, this is the first now in Ireland, and we've already had conversations with other schools that are really interested in uh, rolling something that gets out similar. Uh, and I think if you think about the COVID nineteen uh, and what's happened uh, and the students, you know, this is this maybe this is an opportunity for uh, the educational, you know, the department to have a look at what way we educate our kids going forward uh, and going through, you know, secondary school. Uh, you know, there's the, the, those talked about maybe you know there's something we need to be looking at even more and more and you know is the way we're teaching our kids at the moment you know is it is it the best way we could possibly do it is it is it an opportunity for for education and industry for example to get involved and the community get involved in how we teach our yeah. kids you know uh because it, obviously they, that is the future of not just our industry but all the industries out there so it's something that we um really passionate about and something that we really really want to push forward with yeah, look, I think it's a really exciting project. It's one that's so important for the industry and for the sustainability of the industry. So we will keep it. We will keep a watching brief on that and see how it goes. But uh, for now, just well done for the team and contributing to that. Again, such an important initiative. So look, Carl, before we let you go, you might just talk to us just in terms of, you know, what plans have been put in place for your clients over the next coming months. Um, you know, just uh, really, we're only a month back on site for non-essential yep. works. Are you seeing a ramping up or have you put additional supports in place for your clients over the next months? Yeah, for sure. So we're lucky, I suppose, um, uh, I know we've touched on it, but we already have these digital tools available and a lot of our clients already have these digital tools. So we're able to do a lot of remote support, for example, you know, already throughout all our construction, agriculture and our you know, geo um, surveying site. So that actually helps a lot. So we're able to connect to our, our clients, you know what I mean, through remote connection. We're not, uh, we're having, we can avoid going to site, for example. So we're obviously um, trying as much as possible to avoid doing that. But, uh, and what's it's great about it is, is that, that that communication is still even, is ramped up even more. And there's an understanding there within the community now that we don't necessarily need to go to site to provide that, this this contact, if that makes sense. We can do this remotely. And to be honest with you, it definitely has not uh, uh, impacted our, um, uh, how busy we are at the moment because uh, it's actually increased uh, way beyond our um, actual 
uh, expectations, yeah. to be honest with you, after what's happened in the slowdown, obviously, in around uh, April time at the start of this process. But we've come out the other side of it, probably even stronger than we've ever been before. And um, it's actually been really positive. And as I say, the feedback we've had so far has been really positive. That's good. Carl, I'm delighted to hear that. It's a really important, we need for the industry to make this shift towards digitising so many elements of the sector. So that's a really important one. Delighted to hear that the last few months have gone well for you and your clients yeah. and we hope that that continues. So my thanks again to Carl Freel, Sales Manager at Top Composition in Ireland for joining us. And um, again, thank you to all of our guests this week. That's it from us today. And um, we'll be back next week on Property Matters Dublin South FM, the show where property matters. You can get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Talden of Hear Me Roar Media. We'll be back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Talon, and all the team here, stay safe.